Welcome to the BT Focus podcast dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. Hello and welcome back to a very special back to school edition of the BT Focus podcast. I want to call this almost like a BT Focus after dark episode. I'm recording uh, late Friday evening and a really great end to a busy week. And I'm sure for many of those of you who are listening, uh, back to school mode is in full gear. So uh, I had a couple thoughts that I wanted to share before jumping into our episode today. Uh, and just a little reflection I had. So um, as I mentioned, you know, right now, it's probably a very busy time for a lot of our staff. Uh, many of you have switched from a summer schedule with one or more clients to back into school gear. And a lot of our learners are hopefully back in a classroom setting and with their peers. But back to school brings with it a lot of changes. And, and change, it can be hard. It can be a hard adjustment for everyone, um, for for our learners and also for our clinicians and BTs are out there doing the most important work. So, you know, especially as I was thinking back to this past year and a half, you know, working with clients who haven't been in a classroom setting since March of 2020, it's pretty unbelievable to think. Um, and all of the different challenges that you all have overcome in this period of time, it's remarkable. Um, for a lot of our learners who are in a school setting, you know, the move to remote learning meant a lot of those supports that they relied on at school, um, in many cases, um, were no longer there or, or were modified in a pretty substantial way. And despite all of these changes, I think for so many families, the constant has been you. <laughs> the constant has been our behavior technicians and our supervising clinicians doing whatever it takes to put the needs of our clients first. And I just want to say thank you uh, sincerely. Um, looking at you know the families that I'm privileged to work with, um, there's a lot of time and effort and diligent planning that goes into making these transitions go smoothly. And so um, on behalf of all of our families, I want to say thank you to our staff who are doing what it takes to make this a great school year. Um, so that was my thought. And, you know, we're going to do a little bit of a different format today. Um, we're not going to have any guests today. However, I'm going to give an opportunity to speak directly to some of our listeners who have written in and, and shared some great questions. Um, if you would ever like to ask a question to be featured in an upcoming podcast episode, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at btfocus at centriahealthcare.com. So we're just going to jump right in. And so I'm going to go through some listener questions. And then at the end, I'm also going to share some amazing um, feedback from our staff as well who've, who've shared with us. So let's go to our first question. So our first question is, what do you recommend for situations where you are working at home and you have some distractions, maybe from siblings or for parents uh, during your session? So uh, that's a great question. I have a lot of thoughts um, and I can view this from a, a couple of different perspectives um, now. So let me just start from a behavior technician perspective, because I've certainly um, been in those shoes where you are providing services in home. And if you were in my home today where I have three little kids, 
man, oh man, we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a party in our house, and I can imagine at times that might be distracting. Um, so I, I can view this from a behavior technician standpoint where, yes, there are times when you are working with your learner, and some distractions may um, be um challenging, right? Um, you want them to be able to attend to and focus to the materials and the programs that you're working on. And some degrees of distraction can be, um, you know, a bit hard to overcome. Um, but I want to view this from a couple of different perspectives, right? So let's let's first talk about it from the perspective of um, if you have a, if a parent who, who wants to be really involved with therapy. Um, I'm going to say first and foremost, that's amazing. That's an amazing thing overall that if you are working with a family that is very engaged and wants to be um, really involved in that therapy process, um, the most important change agent um, in the lives of our of our learners um, really won't be, ever be us, right? It's not the behavior technician. It's, it's not the BCBA. It's the parent or the caregiver who is with that child the most and is who's going to really oversee and support their needs when we're not there. So by and large, it is so important to have our families involved. And if they're asking questions and you want to work collaboratively with them and your BCBA, that is a good thing. So let me be very clear about that point. Second point. All right, let's talk about siblings. Um, so let's say that you're working in a home where you know you're working with siblings who uh, just really love spending time with one another and they're best friends. And I've worked in homes where you know big brother wants to be with little brother or vice versa. That's a great thing too, and I think that we can really capitalize that and use that for very effective teaching. What do I mean by that? So you know when you're working with your 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 client with your learner. Use those interactions as amazing opportunities for reinforcement, right? Hey, we're going to be working on shorting shapes or we're going to be working on whatever the activity is. And when we're done, we're going to go be able to play with your big brother or we're going to be able to go outside together. So use that really positive sibling dynamic as a form of motivation. Really embrace that. And yes, there are going to be certainly times where you know, work needs to be done and we might need to transition away from things, but um, that is a good thing. So use it as a form of reinforcement. Another thing that I want to share is just a bit of perspective taking because um, we are always going to have distractions in life, are we not? Um, in, a, in a given work day, there's a number of distractions that I have to um, diligently manage and attend to and um, focus in on. And so distractions are a part of life. And when it comes to teaching skills, I like to talk about the concept of teaching uphill versus teaching downhill. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that when we are teaching a skill with a learner, we want to ultimately teach that skill in a way that generalizes into novel settings that they're going to need in real life, right? So if we're teaching those skills um, in a very, um, I would say, a very uh, clean, uh, undistracted format, maybe you're working in a, in a private therapy room where there's not a lot of distractions, that skill initially is probably going to be acquired faster. However, you might have to do more work to make sure that skill generalizes in other settings. So so that's what I mean by teaching 
uphill. Like we've we've taught that skill in a in a more easy format, but when it comes to the everyday realities of real life, we need to make sure that we're, we've we've also really taught to those settings as well. So what do I mean by teaching downhill? If we can teach a skill in a more challenging setting, a more realistic real world setting, i.e. you're working in a living room when, and siblings are going in and out, but yet your client is engaged and they're focused, that is the setting of real the real world, right? So, so that's an example of teaching downhill. If we can teach in a more challenging setting, we're actually going to be setting that learner up for success in real life um, in a way that's more natural and and will take less direct generalization efforts, right? So that's maybe another important perspective to teach. Like, yes, there may be more challenging um, settings initially. However, that's life and that's a good thing. So let's lean into that. Um, and and so that's, that's another important perspective to have. Um, and then point number four. And, and I think this comes to just having like really great lines of communication with your supervisor and with your families and really just having those conversations if there are times in which certain dis- distractions, um, whether that be just things going on in the environment um, that we can adjust in a way to make that therapy setting more effective that's also a great conversation to have. And, and that might be a good conversation to have with your clinical supervisor so that you can be able to say with the, the family or whoever's on the team, hey, you know, we really want to make sure that, that our time here is being used to the fullest and we want it to be maximized. So what are some certain ground rules or what are some parameters we can put in place in terms of you know, what's going on in the environment in a given point in time? Is there is there a, a preferred location that we're working out of? Or are there pref- preferred times for breaks and things of that nature? So um, talk to your BCBA and your family and your team because you guys can come up to the, uh, ultimately the best solution, right? Um, with all of those other perspectives in mind as well, right? Parental engagement is the most important thing, period. Uh, siblings, Use that positive dynamic as a form of reinforcement wherever you can. Three, the concept of teaching uphill versus downhill. Embrace the distractions because life is full of them. And four, just have very open and honest conversations and and come to solutions that you can have really effective therapy settings at home. All right, that was an awesome question. Uh, Let's go on to number two. All right, question number two reads, how do you recommend dealing with regression man that is a great question so regression those times in which you feel like things are moving backwards i don't understand it we haven't seen this behavior in months and all of a sudden it's happening again or man oh man we really put things in place and we're having really great communication attempts but those have decreased how do you deal with regression? So I think I can answer this question in, in two ways. One is addressing, I would say, more the psychological aspect of regression from the standpoint of a therapist or a parent um, and recognizing that regression is hard. It's a hard thing to cope with because I think it's very easy to internalize that regression in terms of what am I doing wrong? And I think, you know, we tend to cast blame on ourselves oftentimes 
or just be disappointed, right? Oh, I thought we had passed that already. I'm just crushed because here this issue is again, and I, I thought we had this solved. And I guess my word of encouragement when it comes to what you could call regression is just the importance of acceptance and the importance of self-compassion as well, because here is the reality. Um, behavior is a function of our environment. Things that we can control and things that we cannot control, right? So that it might be the internal environment, your client, certain things that you just can't control within their biology. I'll give you an example. Um, I... Ooh, I, I remember back to the very early months of our, our twins being born and doing sleep training. And man, when you're, when you have two newborns that are sleeping at different times and you're, you're getting 60 minutes of sleep at a time, it's disorienting and you want a solution so bad. <laughs> and so I, I remember, uh, getting to a point where we, you know, we'd finally, we'd done sleep training and they were sleeping through the night and it was like, oh, you know, you could, you could hear the birds singing and it was a beautiful thing. And then out of the blue one evening, it was like, what is happening? Wait, we are all, it seems like all of the progress we made is gone. And I was talking to my wife and she said, yeah, like at this developmental stage, it's normal to have a sleep regression just due to the development of the child and uh, the things that are going on from their growth and development. And I was like, sleep regression, that's not a thing. Uh, it is. <laughs> but so, so there are factors and things that I could not control. We were approaching it the same way. And yet there were some just differences within, you know, our, our child as they're growing. So that's, that's one example, but also there are subtle changes in the environment that we may or may not be aware of. And so I guess the first step to overcome regression, I think, is addressing it on the emotional level to say that this is not your fault. Um, this change is in many ways very normal. And in fact, I think the hardest part of regression is overcoming the feelings of regression. Because when you can address it for what it is, like, yes, this is hard, now let's move to the solution. When you can move to the solution, it follows the same pattern we would take for any sort of behavior chain, right? So, so, so what do we do? We, we have to first, let's analyze the behavior, what's going on, what's happening before the behavior, what's happening afterwards, right? Um, and we're going to analyze it to see what are the things in the environment we can change. And then you, as you're working with your BCBA, you then design an intervention, right, to to address the behavior and address it at its core, right? You design that intervention, and then what do you do next? You take data on it. Is the intervention being effective? If it is, keep going. If it's not, we're going to make some changes. And it's and it's really that simple. Um, and I say that simple, but I, I want to recognize that this is a very hard thing. I'm not making light of it in any way. But I think that you have to both recognize the emotional element, which is really at the core of a lot of these things and can sometimes hold us back from taking that next step um, of actually getting to the solving piece. So be kind to yourself. Uh, parents, if you're listening to this, be kind to yourself too. Um, behavioral changes are, are, are normal. And also just keep in mind that 
we're going to do everything we can within our power to support and that change takes time as well so it's all part of the journey it's all part of the process but at its core those behavioral elements hold constant right analyzing the environment and finding those forms of reinforcement and things that are maintaining the behavior um, and then we can address it at its core but first you got to recognize the emotional element so another great question all right next question what advice do you have when it comes to addressing challenging behaviors which is a fantastic question and one that you could speak at length about um, and, and one that we will continue to build off of in future uh, podcast episodes as well um, because there's a lot of implications and um, when we talk about one of the core goals of ABA, it's that we want to help promote independence and a high quality of life for all of our clients and all of our learners and challenging behavior, whether that be in forms of aggression or property destruction or self-injury, these are very serious, serious challenges that our, our families are faced with and our clients face themselves. And, and so we want to be really thoughtful and very systematic and very thorough when it comes to properly analyzing um, and designing interventions to support uh, these individuals so that we are building skills which alleviate those challenges that they face. So um, what I would say is a couple things. Um, one, I would recommend you checking out a earlier podcast episode we did on functional analyses um, in our RBT mini series. Um, functional analyses, at its core, we are looking to see what are those things in the environment, for lack of better words, or in everyday speech that are causing and maintaining behaviors, right? What are the things that are evoking or triggering those behaviors? And what are the things in the environment which are keeping those behaviors intact in the form of reinforcement? So um, I think a really great exercise that you could have, and this could be something cool to build into an upcoming supervision when you're talking to your BCBA, um, if you were to ask them um, two questions and, and do this in the form of role play with them, um, two questions, and, and this is taken from Dr. Greg Hanley when it comes to um, a specific type of functional analysis called the PFA. And the first question is this, all right? Um, I've got a million dollars, all right? I got a million dollars and I put it on the table and it is yours for the taking. But first you have to answer this first question, all right? Um, Tell me, what are all of the things that would result in problem behavior occurring? And it has to be turned on immediately. What are the things in the environment which would cause problem behaviors to occur, right? So you might be thinking to yourself, oh, that's easy. We would just have to, um, you know, take away the iPad. We would have to start doing long division. Um, you know, his, you know siblings who are typically there they, they can't be present during this time so he has to be working independently um and yeah that's it long division you know no ipad siblings can't be there behavior will happen 10 times out of 10 okay so so why are we asking that question so we are trying to pull apart the pieces of this puzzle 
which are, what are those things that are evoking that behavior? And, and so I'm hearing, okay, uh, we have to remove access to a preferred item, right? That's important to know. We have to present a challenging task that the child will likely want to escape from. And then also their preferred people can't be present, right? Okay, so that attention is not available. All right, that's really helpful. This is a helpful exercise. So question number two, I got $2 million. I'm putting it on the table right now. Okay, it's yours for the taking. But I want to know if a behavior was happening and it was really severe, what would be the surest way that you could turn it off immediately, right? And so I say, oh, yeah, simple. iPad, unrestricted access. Angry birds all day. Um, no work. Put that work away. You know, actually, let's put it in a backpack and let's put that backpack in a closet and then let's lock the closet. No long division at all. And then, you know, siblings are there. You know, let's bring mom and dad in the room and we're having a party, right? All the attention in the world, no challenging tasks and um, yeah, unrestricted access to all the good stuff that would turn off the behavior. So, uh, so like, what, what are, where are we going with this? So, what I'm trying to get at here is what are the reinforcers, right? What are the things that the client is so motivated by that they'll go to extreme lengths to gain access to those reinforcers? Because ultimately what we want to do in a very thoughtful and detailed process and addressed through our programming that you'll work on with your clinicians is look to ways to really maximize access to those really important reinforcers but teach it in a systematic way that we can also teach that client how to communicate those needs, how to tolerate changes in the environment and times in which they are not available, and then build that repertoire where they're able to transition to um, different environments, to be able to then cooperate and engage and, and do a number of different skill building tasks and you're going to do it in a very systematic way so that all throughout the process, all of those little incremental steps along the way are also leading to that very rich reinforcement so that it's not even necessary for that individual to have those challenging behavior because that reinforcement is built right into the treatment setting itself, right? Um, so that is a that is a flyby high level <laughs> description of um, what I think is a, a really good just uh, kind of like fact finding exercise you can do with your supervising clinician because ultimately when it comes to adequately addressing challenging behavior we have to look at what are the function or functions that are maintaining that behavior because if we do not adequately address those things at its core we are, you could say, treating the symptoms and not the, the cause, if you will, right? We want to teach skills because skills are the path to a rich and meaningful life. So look to see what are those reinforcers, what are those evocative events, you could say, um, and then work with your supervisor to, you know, really address those things at its core. And while, you know, conducting and designing a functional analysis is you know, entirely within the role and responsibility of your supervising clinician, you as a behavior technician play an incredibly important role in using your observations and feedback and data to really make sure that we are designing really comprehensive assessments, which will lead to really effective treatments and interventions. All right, one more question. I love this one. 
one of our behavior technician writes in and the question is what do you recommend for teaching mindfulness or deep breathing more of these self-care uh, skills that we've been talking so much about which is incredibly vital to our work because as we've said many times you know we can't serve others if we're not first taking care of ourselves and so um, mindfulness is a, a really great self-care strategy because you know like we were talking about earlier you know being in touch with our emotions but also learning how to distance ourselves from emotion in the sense that, um, you know, an emotion is a, is a fleeting thing that if we are looking at it from a very mindful perspective, you know, imagine your mind is a, uh, is a stream of water, right? Um, and there's leaves that are floating by in the water and all of these leaves are different emotions. There could be happiness, there could be sadness, there could be anger, there could be frustration, there could be joy, Right, all of these emotions are um, along for the ride um, within this this body of water, and I think oftentimes when it comes to um, you know better coping with these challenging emotions is noticing it, them just as that. This is a feeling, and this is fleeting. And some good sayings that are like you know feelings aren't necessarily facts, right? Um, how I'm feeling is not necessarily a reflection of what is actually occurring or, or this actual circumstances, right? And so if you can notice your feelings as something that pass, instead of clinging on to that leaf, right, we can notice it. I'm, I'm noticing the fact that I'm feeling frustrated. I'm noticing the fact that I'm feeling mad, right? Not I'm mad, I'm feeling mad. And I think putting that that distance sometimes can allow ourselves to take a step back, right? And and breathe. And, and so there's a lot of really good, you know, apps and tools out there to help with mindfulness activities. I think people will find things that work best for them. Some that I've used over the years, Headspace, there's some really great free apps out there. You might find it as, hey, I'm going to invest in myself a little bit and I might, you know, purchase an app 10% happier. I've seen great things said about that. Um, and I think regardless of what app you use or whatever strategy you use, whether it's mindfulness or any sort of other practice, I think it's so important that we are really reflecting on ways that we can really um, replenish ourselves after giving out to others. We can only be at our best when we are taking the time to take care of ourselves, And this needs to be a priority, not something that gets pushed to the margin of your days uh, because you're that important and the work that you do is that important. So um, whatever the strategy might be, um, take the time. Um, you, you deserve it. So uh, that's going to conclude our mailbag session. I want to read a couple more listener submissions. All right, so the question that we asked our staff was to have them describe what's their why, meaning what motivates them for the work that they do every day. And I wanted to read three really great responses. The first response from one of our BTs in Michigan, when my client meets his goals and uses the new skills in his natural environment, 
It's a priceless moment. It is fulfilling to see the progress that our clients make, especially when they're struggling on certain targets. Seeing them grow and accomplish goals makes our job worth it. From a behavior technician in California, my why when a child speaks or man's request for the first time to see the family and the child come alive with words and actions to enjoy the love that child has to give. And finally, the last one from a behavior technician in Michigan, it is so good to see how my client engages with others and communicate better than ever before. So those are just a couple. Um, I had a lot of fun on this mailbag episode. I hope you did too. Please keep sending in your comments, your questions, your your whys, your motivation, and just your thoughts. Um, this podcast is a reflection of all of you and all of the amazing work that you're doing. And I hope you all have a really great start of the school year with a lot of great things to come. Until next time. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the BT Focus podcast. As we learn more about the stories and the science behind applied behavior analysis. 